0: This morning, we continue looking at Mary's heart, um, and something that kind of came to mind as I was preparing for this is uh, the, the movie Frozen. And if you have a young girl in your life, you have probably seen this movie. No, you haven't. Okay, let me explain it a little bit. Um, there's these princesses, and one of them has a magical power where she can control ice, and one of them does not. And it's this story, um, a princess story, you know, where you think Something bad's going to happen, and then this, this handsome prince is going to swoop in and save the day. Well, in Frozen, the handsome prince turns out to be the bad guy. And it's not the handsome prince who saves the day. It's the sister who saves the day. It's the sister who shows this act of true love. What I love about Frozen is it takes this like normal story, the Disney stories that I grew up watching, like Sleeping Beauty and Snow White and Cinderella and Little Mermaid... Always had this random guy who came in, who she she barely knew, and had to give this true love kiss. Where they barely even knew each other. How can they have a true love kiss? It always bothered me. So Frozen is so wonderful because it takes that normal narrative and it turns it upside down. It says you don't need this man who you barely know to come in and save you. Your sister can have that act of true love. As we look at Luke, what we see here is this intentionally overturned story. Luke offers this account of the kingdom of God at hand. And it's intentionally overturned. He helps us see things differently. He's going to show us a deeper truth. He's going to show us that uh, when God turns things upside down, he turns upside down our sensibilities, our priorities, and our habits. We have these three characters who are in this passage that the Weakle Boys read. Mary, Elizabeth, and Zechariah. Now, a little bit about Zachariah and Elizabeth. They are older barren. They can't have children. Zechariah is a priest. He is from the tribe of Abijah, which is one of 24 tribes. There's about 24,000 priests under the umbrella of the Levites. And his name gets called one day to go into the Holy of Holies and light the candle, which was a huge honor. And there were so many priests that it only ever happened once in a lifetime. And God in his goodness met Zechariah there in the Holy of Holies with the angel Gabriel and said to him, you're going to have a son who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And Zechariah is like, um, we're kind of old for that. How is that even possible? My wife is past childbearing age. Give me a sign. And in this like divine irony, I I kind of imagine the. Gabriel standing there with his arms crossed he's like really you need a sign all right here's your sign now you can't talk so Zachariah is mute for the duration of his wife's pregnancy which is the sign he asked for right and they have this son it's a it's a miraculous birth they have the son John he's he's going to prepare the way for the messiah Luke likes to contrast things. If you read throughout Luke and Acts, you see how he likes to kind of put two different accounts next to each other. So we have this this Zechariah reaction and Mary's reaction to the visit of Gabriel. And and you see that throughout the rest of, of the gospel, how people respond to the message of the coming of the kingdom. Some people respond, good. Some people respond, Ba- better. Some people respond poorly, and some people respond worse than that. So you have this continuum, you have this, this, um, this whole different variety of ways that people respond to the coming of the kingdom, and that's what Luke is starting to do here with Zechariah and Mary. It's interwoven. It's this message that God acts graciously People respond appropriately with joy and praise. Regardless of our initial response, a life transformed by grace will produce a rejoicing heart. Rejoicing is the emotional response to the spiritual state of faith and hope. Rejoice in the Lord always, right? That's the phrase that I know kind of sits in my head with that little song I grew up singing but rejoice in the Lord always because in the Lord there is always something worth rejoicing. These three characters show us what it means to rejoice and acknowledge that God is doing something in their lives. A rejoicing heart cannot stay silent. And they know the story of Israel really well. They know God's faithfulness. And so Mary leans into that faithfulness. She has confidence In God and what he will do and what he says he will do in her life and for the world and through this Savior she will bear. I want to reread her song. She's talking about how the coming of God's upside down kingdom. We heard it in the song and the boys read it again. But she says this, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And we see here at the end of this passage that Mary is related to Elizabeth. And so by proximity, we know that then Mary is part of this priestly tribe as well because Elizabeth had to be part of this priestly tribe. In order to marry a priest, the priestly tribe had to stay pure. And so we see that Mary's relationship with God is what Luke wants to point out here. It's a relationship that God initiated. He put her in that group of people. It's not something Mary did for herself. It's something that God only could control. And she finds her status and her identity in her obedience to God. And there is freedom in obedience. Pastor, author, and professor Jonathan Pennington says this about fear and obedience. I want to read this. Fear and anxiety really marks the human life. To be human is to be limited. The reality that ultimately we are not in control. We can live a lot of our lives not paying attention to that but when we do, it's impossible not to feel the fear. Fear is no respecter of persons, meaning it doesn't matter how wonderful your life seems, how much money you have, what great job, how prestigious, how good or bad your marriage is. It does not matter. Every one of us is plagued and marked by fear and anxieties. If you don't feel that, you might not be in touch with reality. This is the human plight, and it's okay because God knows it. And he cares. And that's why he addresses fear, anxiety so much in scripture. He gives us stories. And here he gives us the story of Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah who are facing these impossible situations. When Mary faces this impossible situation and her response is, I am the Lord's servant. Use me as you will. That is a place of true freedom. Have you ever experienced that when you're facing an impossible situation and you get to the bottom of yourself, the bottom of your circumstance, and all you can say is, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done according to your will. That is the place of freedom. That kind of faith, that kind of freedom, that's the blessed life according to the Bible. And how do we find it? We see it here with Mary, with open hands and obedience. We see this upside-down kingdom where God values humility over strength and power. The people that the world would consider lessers in society, the poor, the uneducated, the oppressed in ancient cultures, women, people with various disabilities. We see that Luke is intentional to show us that these people are particularly exalted and honored by God in his upside-down kingdom. Most importantly, there is a true king who is not a Caesar or a president. He is the true king of the universe, who is surprisingly this lowly-born Jewish infant. And it's this first episode with Elizabeth who comes, she runs out to greet Mary. It shows this upside-down kingdom is beginning. It would have been normal for the younger person to come to the older person with respect and regard. But here we see Elizabeth giving honor to Mary because she recognizes Mary is the mother of Jesus. She has his Savior. When it comes to the kingdom of God, social norms, traditions are turned on their head. We see these miraculous pregnancies. Both Mary and Elizabeth conceived only because of God's intervention. And so they can reflect on God's faithfulness together. We look at Mary's song. We see her rejoicing and celebrating and prophesying about the coming of God's kingdom. A rejoicing heart cannot stay silent. And she can rejoice and give God glory because she knows. She knows who God is. She knows his character. And repeating who he is has become part of her routine, which we see because so many of these phrases in her song are um, phrases from Psalms. They're exact quotes. She was soaked in scripture. It was her routine to know who God was and what he has done. And Elizabeth and her shared this dream. It was this ancient dream of Israel, the dream that one day what the prophets had said to them would come true, that Israel's God would do what he said he would do to Israel's earliest ancestors, Abraham. That all nations would be blessed through Abraham's family. But for that to happen, the powers of this world that kept the world in slavery had to be toppled. The upside-down kingdom Is at hand. When we encounter surprises in our life, we can respond to God in gratitude and rejoicing, just like Mary did. When we know who He is based on our time spent in Scripture, studying His Word, hearing and knowing how He has been faithful to those who have gone before us, a rejoicing heart cannot stay silent. And Mary addresses God in three different, excuse me, significant titles Lord God, my Savior, and Mighty One. Lord God means that she recognizes He is Lord of her life, He is the ultimate authority for her. Savior means that she recognizes her need for one, which also means she sees that she's sinful that she needs a savior and mighty one because she knows he can and he will save her. And it's through Mary's song that she acknowledges this. But it's this continuation of God's work in her and we see this transformed life because her little yes, which we talked about last week in that little town in Nazareth, her little yes and her trust from the angel's message She continues to trust, and she can rejoice. What keeps her from fear of what will happen and how it will transpire? God can do a lot with our little yes. It's like a dance or a piece of music or a symphony, right, where the beginning is quiet, but then It builds. There's this bigger dynamic that gets added and it grows just like our faith grows like this beautiful symphony that God is composing. The more we respond, the more he adds, it strengthens our song until we are saved from fear. We have no doubt we can fully trust him because we know who he is And he has been faithful not only to us, but to those who've gone before us. I think of it kind of like a divine matching campaign, if you've ever participated in a fundraiser like that, right? Whereas in this situation, God matches our little contribution a million times. In our little yes our humble adoration, our honor and glory, he matches with his Holy Spirit, which enables us and equips us to have confidence and strengthens our faith. And we have hope. And in the strength of our faith and hope, we can give God deeper and broader glory, rejoicing. And this pattern continues in our life until our lives become a living testimony of God's character. Now, some people might look at some of what Mary says here as a little prideful, right? We look at, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Hmm. But Mary is is recognizing that it's God's activity. Mary will be honored from now on which is a, a phrase that Luke will use in the future of his gospel to recognize that from that point God activity God's activity changes everything to come from now on we look at Mary's song and we need to remember there is a difference in giving glory and testifying versus being prideful and taking credit Mary says that she will be blessed by those in generations to come. Glory is recognizing a gift and giving credit to its origin and giver. Pride is rejecting what's been given and taking credit for it as the receiver. And here Mary is giving credit and glory to God. Mary praises God for his attributes, his power, holiness, mercy, and faithfulness. She also praises God for his dealings with people, realizing that she has been chosen for this pivotal role. She knows that she will be with a child who will become God's mercy in human form. Now, it's Mary's song here in the middle of this narrative that kind of brings this story to a halt And it's a reminder from Luke that this is not just about the events that happened. Past, present, future, but especially in their meaning. The purpose of this timeout is to ensure that we understand the significance of what's happening here. Mary, her conception, the blessing pronounced by her relative. It's not surprising that it's all rooted in God's covenantal love and purpose. Her joy seems grounded on the assurance that God will keep his promises to her, just as he has always done in the history of his people. And Mary understands the difference and recognizes the honor given to her to have God actively involved in her life. The sense of privilege, lacking any hint of merit, spills over into this waterfall of praise and gratitude. And like Mary, we have a responsibility to rejoice and to share our story of what God is doing. We cannot be silent. We shouldn't shy away from giving God honor and glory for the things that he does in our life. If, we had taken that, if Mary had taken that route, we wouldn't have this account in Luke. We have a story that needs to be shared for generations to come. If anyone was in a position to boast, it was Mary. She was carrying the Son of God. Most likely, Mary is the one who's giving the testimony to Luke for his gospel. And you see throughout the rest of the gospel that she's not pointing herself in any light. She continues to exalt God and Jesus. Giving God glory and rejoicing is kind of like this relay race. We give God glory and we rejoice. We recognize his faithfulness in the past. We are affirming what he has done in the lives of those who have gone before us. And we are testifying to his goodness in our own life. Rejoicing. God has done something great. He is worth giving the credit Rejoicing recognizes God's greatness and faithfulness is not an isolated event. When we rejoice, we take along this legacy, this history, this consistency of God's faithfulness throughout time. We add to the continuum. I pick up where my ancestors left off. Rejoicing is joining in this eternal relay race where the baton gets passed from generation to generation that began with the angels in the beginning of time praising God. He is good. He is still good, and he will continue to be good. Our future generations, our children and our children's children, not just our immediate family, but our spiritual generations need to hear from us how God has been faithful and how good he has been. How do we know? How do we know he's still good? We've forgotten the beauty and importance of storytelling We haven't been faithful to testifying to God's glory in us and our lives because we're concerned about being perceived as prideful. I grew up in a small town community with a certain uh, background from a certain country of people who are proud but not prideful. They work really hard not to be prideful. Almost to a degree where it's a detriment. There's this sense of false humility where I, I can't say, I, I don't want to talk about myself. I can't say anything about me. Well, you can because you can say about what God is doing in you. We've kind of thrown this baby out with this bathwater, with this false humility. of We can testify to what God has done in our life. We can give glory and tell the story without making it about us. We have to add our chain of praise to the, the, our link in the chain of praise so that future generations have something to anchor to. We were talking a little bit yesterday after the disappointing World Cup game that we were watching. And I said to Steve, I said, well, you know, at least now we can root for the Netherlands. You know, and the kids are like, why? I said, well, because we're Dutch. And so then they're like, what does that mean? I said, well, it means that my great-grandparents and my grandparents and daddy's great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents came from the Netherlands. And then they were asking all about that. And then we're trying to figure out who came when and who they were married to and all these things. And we pulled out our genealogy tree and we're looking at this account that um, some of our family members had given us and steve was reading something of his grandmother when she was very very young something that he he hadn't read before and it brought tears to my eyes because the things that she went through that god was good to that family so that our family could be where we are and if they hadn't written that down we wouldn't have that we have to tell our stories of god's goodness we rejoice when we share our story. When we can't give credit for our life, we are taking credit for something that is not ours. We are committing holy plagiarism when we don't give God glory, when we don't point others to him and say, this is what he's done in my life. Come and see what he's capable of doing. That is what we do when we turn to this year after year. Come and see. He is capable of doing the impossible. This isn't just a nice story, it's not a piece of fiction. It's not even a piece of nonfiction. This is the living word of God. It's not a biography. This is the Word becoming flesh and living among us. And it changes us, it transforms us, and it's alive because He is, and He's worth rejoicing. It's an invitation of transformation through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, of things He can do beyond what we can ask or imagine. This is not just a book we take off the shelf at the library. This is the living word of God. It's why this story is worth revisiting year after year because it's incredible and it's amazing. And it's amazing because he is. And he is worth rejoicing. And that should mean that our rejoicing heart cannot stay silent. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are good. Help us not to forget the incredible, amazing story of your goodness, but help us also not to forget to add to it with our rejoicing heart. Help us not just to look at Mary and say, oh, that's so nice of her, but help us to be inspired by her in what you are capable of doing in our lives. We thank you for this time of year where we can pause Take a time out and look at the incredible story of you coming as a baby to our earth to love us and to save us. Help it not be lost on us, Lord, and help our tongues to always be rejoicing. Because in you there is always something to rejoice about. We thank you for this time. Hear our songs. Hear our songs of praise and rejoicing and you're